You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Andre, I am so glad that you got to meet our next uh, our next guest. Michael, I'm so glad I got to introduce you guys to the new hashtag, Dirty Wings. I can't believe you brought that up in front of this man. By the way, I'm Michael Pincus, the grape guy from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. And today, we have the pleasure of bringing you probably one of our most fun interviews. And when I say that, I say it in a very funny, we had this man looking at us like we were smoking crack. And I'm talking about (laughs) none other than Alberto Zanato. We actually filmed this podcast, sorry, we recorded this podcast in front of a studio audience. Uh, We were fortunate enough to do this at Grano in Midtown Toronto. Yeah, and we did. And we actually had uh, about five or six people around the table. Uh, so it's our first studio audience. We hope to have more uh, one of these days. And, um, you know, it was a roundtable tasting, although we were the only ones talking. Uh, uh, of course, Alberto was as well. There were some tasty wines, but uh, you can listen to this interview and see what exactly we tasted. My name is Alberto Zenato. I'm from Italy. <laughs> we may use that. Just That's a good a place to start. That's a good place to start. So name, this... name, rank, and serial number. That's what we need, right? What's my line? So, obviously, everybody knows who we're with. So, let's get right to it. Uh, Andre, you've never actually met Alberto. I've, I've not. Met him a couple and Alberto, times. thanks for giving us the time. I'm really looking forward to tasting these wines. So, well, let's kick it right off immediately. Um, Alberto, you want to tell us the first wine that you've, you've selected for us today? Of course, this is a Lugana San Benedetto. This is uh, one of the most uh, important white wine of our family because it represents uh, the, the white wine that come from the area where my father started to begin the adventure of producing wine. It's uh, an area very close to the Lake of Garda. It's uh, a small area in between the province of Verona and Brescia. And uh, it's produced from uh, one type of grape that is called Trebbiano of Lugana. Mm. Very similar, very close to the Trebbiano of Suave. But because in Italy we are very, very distinctive from uh, other places, we have decided to call uh, with our own name Turbiana. So it's a Trebbiano family grape variety, but uh, it has... um, its uh, own characteristic uh, developed uh, through the years uh, in the area where it's grown with the microclimate influenced by the presence of the lake and the typical soil rich in uh, uh, lime and uh, clay and sand. Now, usually I'm, uh, I'm one who likes my, my white wine fairly chill. Yeah. This, is, this doesn't have much of a chill on it. I'm really liking this one as it is like it's not very okay i've got a big smile on my face because uh the day we're recording this in late november it's been a little chilly this week we had a bit of snow earlier this week but this smells like uh niagara peach really fresh right in the middle of summer cut into it just juices running down your fingers like really ripe niagara peach but i also like the lime that's a little on the palate there's a nice minerality yes the mineral note punches right through the the, finish the minerality at the taste flavor is one of the characteristic of our wines in lugana area because the soil this clay lime soil give to the trebbiano grapes a lot of flinty notes this typical 
uh, grapefruit uh, notes uh, and typical uh, peach notes, as you said before. Yeah. Yes, and right. it's got this nice acidity that just kind of finishes it right up. Like yeah, this is definitely a good, it's a great starter wine. Yeah, really lovely seafood wine. Good with probably, I'd, I'd crack some oysters with this. Maybe not number one choice, but this would be a good. If this was in the house and that's what I had, I'd be I, happy for this. I hope the folks this. at Grano have heard, heard you. We are recording this time at, uh, at Grano. Oh, yeah, live on location. Live on location. So <laughs> From a half oh. block from my house. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what everybody needs to know. <laughs> so I hope they're all listening of what you said to, to pair this with. But, Alberto, why not tell us a little bit about Zanata, the family, the history, and we'll cut you off every so often to pour something else. We're going to enjoy the wine while you talk. So I'm uh, the second generation of Zenato family-owned winery. My father, Sergio, uh, founded the, the winery in 1960 in uh, the village of Peschiera del Garda, where we come from, so very close to the lake in the province of Verona. And um, my father was, uh, in this area, a sort of pioneer okay. because uh, he liked to improve uh, the viticultural a method of production in the area and also he wanted to improve the quality of the wine so at the beginning with the less money he had he tried to to do his best but later on with some more investment he, he could bought more land where he could try to to taste new clones and new way of producing Lugana and also improving the equipment uh, of the cellar for um, the production of uh, real good white wines. But uh, as you know, it's important the grapes, the quality, but also the technology of uh, producing white wines. You need uh, to take care of the grapes from the beginning, from the picking, but also during the pressing and the uh, first fermentation, it's important to keep the wine avoid from oxidation in order to keep all the freshness, the fruitiness, and the uh, typical aroma of our uh, Trebbiano grapes. So it's a Trebbiano, but the wine yeah. is called Lugana. What, where does that name come from? The, uh, the name Lugana comes from uh, the appellation, uh, the area where it's, uh, uh, it's planted, uh, this Trebbiano of Lugana, is uh, an area called Lugana. As, as if you go in uh, Valpolicella, the grape varieties are Corvina, Rondinella, Molinara, but the wine is called Valpolicella, it's the name of the area. The same happens for Lugana, but it's the name of the area. Got it. All right. So we have some bottles that say Valpolicella, and then we have the Lugana. So is the winery located in two different places, or is it just the vineyards that are located in two different places? Yes, the vineyards are located in two different places because uh, my family, my father, all of us, uh, decided... Um, around the mid of the 90s to start uh, to invest in another area and this area was the Valpolicella one where we decided to start to, to, to grow our own Corvina Rondinella grapes to produce our Amarone, Ripasso and Valpolicella wines. So in the middle of the 90s we invested in, in a village called Sant'Ambrogio della Valpolicella in the classic zone of Alpolicella to start our own production of red wines. And this is now uh, what Zenato is focused uh, focus for the white wine in Lugana district, 
and for uh, red wines in Valpolicella district. I have so many questions about why you would go to Valpolicella, but I think we should save them for when we get into the wines that are in front of us. Yes. Actually, I was just uh, getting the finish on this wine. I'm getting like a salty lime, which is like a long, persistent finish. And it's like a... No? Salty lime. Oh, okay. I'm agreeing oh, with you. Oh, I'm just all over that one. I didn't. I, I the way he looked at me. I, I, I so what? Know. So we should take a shot of this I, I, and then a, a shot tequila. of tequila yeah, and just do like. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I I, I feel I taste this uh, salty lime. Yeah. And uh, this is also another characteristic of the minerality of the wine. It's yeah. the it's the mineral just punching through. Yeah. This is. Uh, <laughs> I like Andre's this. Andre's very happy. On I Friday. do. On a Friday night. Well, Andre's you know what? It's, but it's, it's, it's just, I, I loathe winter. Like, I came from Saskatchewan. I, I know you know this, but I don't know if I've a lot of people who listen to so know times. this. But I mean, the reason why I moved to Toronto, and this is no word of a lie, is because of how awful the winters are in Saskatchewan. So anything that can make me feel like summer makes me happy. <laughs> this tastes like summer. You made summer in a glass. It's absolutely that. What? Uh, but at the same time, not flabby. Like it's it's got that really like warm, ripe fruit, but nice acidity. Like this is this is this is summer in a glass, but balanced. So how many uh, hectares or acres do you have of the Tibiano in Modano? So talking about hectares, that is more familiar to me. We have uh, nowadays uh, 65 hectares in Lugana and uh, 35 in Valpolicella. So I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume that this does not see any oak, or no, no. So it's all fresh, stainless steel, no lees contact. This is just. This Lugana is produced in a very traditional way, uh, soft pressing, hand picking, and uh, uh, immediately uh, during the pressing, the temperature of the grapes is um, cooled down in order to prevent oxidation and maintain uh, the characteristic and the flavor of the uh, grapes. And even um, with the gentle pressing though, like, the, the, gentle. The, col- the color is quite yellow, so you let it sit on the skins for a little bit? Well, by the way, we ripen uh, the grapes a lot, so we pick the grapes uh, at the right moment, and uh, we don't need to do any type of uh, maceration with the skin. Fermentation takes place at temperature controlled in stainless steel tanks, and then uh, after the fermentation, the young wine proceeded to store in the same ones for some months. We are also tasting over a yellow table, so that, where you, okay. that might be where your color is coming from. <laughs> because I, I didn't think there was a lot Another of Another fun fact, uh, I'm red-green colorblind, but I, I can still see yellow Whoa, for the wow, most we, part. Things we, things we learn, we learn from you, we learn from him. It's unbelievable. But I mean, it's, colorblind, it, it's, it's not, like there is a bit of color to the wine, regardless of the yellow room and the yellow table. I'm standing by that. All right. So shall we move on to, now we've talked uh, this wine, and it's it's absolutely lovely. So uh, this one is available in our market, which is which is Ontario. Uh, but is this a wine, the next wine, is this a wine that anybody can get anywhere in the world? It's exported? No, this is a new project that we started a few years ago. So this is a wine that at the moment is not available in all our markets. Uh, Lugana, the wine we tasted before, is uh, very international. You can find in most of our uh, markets. So this uh, Veneto Rosso, it was a project started uh, for the Monopoly markets. Okay. So we have, we have done uh, this wine for the Scandinavian markets, in particular for Finland, Norway and Sweden. And uh, because the wine 
is, uh, is a Veneto Rosso partial appassimento, so similar to the style of Ripasso wines. And uh, in this moment, I would say that Ripasso, Amarone, the Veneto wines are quite popular. So we have decided to introduce uh, also in this uh, Ontario market. So what was the call from the monopolies that wasn't from the rest of the world? Why did suddenly this uh, Zanato Veneto Rosso have to be made for monopoly markets and not for the rest of the world? Mm. I haven't understood. Oh, okay. So let's try that again. Why, why, did, why did you make this wine for the monopolies, monopolies and not for the yourself and not for the winery? Uh, well, uh, let's say that we uh, uh, wanted to, to fit a, a price point that usually we are not present. So we wanted to put a Zenato brand in, in, in a category of, 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 uh, of a market where it wasn't covered before. So most of our wine are sold over $15 okay. to $50, like Amarone. And the Veneto Rosso was able to fit these uh, $12.95, $30.95, $30.95 okay. price point. I'm, I'm glad I tasted this before you said what price category it's in, because it's if this is 12 or 13 bucks a bottle, uh, this is definitely over-delivering on oh, yeah. the price. You know, rich fruit. Yep. Lots of uh, lots of cherry, but still like good and clean on the on the finish. Like this is definitely a good food wine. Like you don't need to overthink it. Uh, this is a pizza wine. This is a burger wine. This is a pizza. I mean, we got burgers. yeah. Yeah, I agree. We got agree. we got Grey Cup coming up this Sunday. Maybe this will be out for Super Bowl. So if you're doing like your your dirty wings or dirty ribs, do this with that. I have to ask you, Alberta. Do you do dirty wings? Dirty ribs? Chicken wings? Pork ribs, um, soak them in sauce. Yeah, sometimes, but uh, we 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 buy, we buy, we don't do it at home. You don't do it at home. Okay, no, no, come this on. This is not a traditional it, Italian. Now, in, in our um, Italian uh, Italian way of, of cooking, there isn't this type of food. So no? we yeah, cook a lot of fish, a, a lot of uh, meat, but also a lot of pasta, a lot of risotto, a lot of pizza, a lot of uh, vegetable and fruit. This is what we really eat. You so what do you do with the yeah. wings? But what, what do you do with the said. chicken wings? What happens to the chicken wings then? You still have the wings of the chicken, like but you don't cook stew, it. Do they not? Well, yeah, my, my son, eleven years old, is uh, probably less uh, linked to the tradition as I am, or my okay. family is. So he likes these kind of things: uh, hamburgers, uh, dirty wings, uh, <laughs> and this kind of. of okay, food. hang on. Hashtag dirty wings. Okay, okay continue. Uh, so I, I've got to ask, what are dirty wings? I've had wings before. I don't know if you know what dirty look, wings look, are. Look, so I gotta I'm, know I'm, what dirty I'm, wings I'm just, are. I'm just saying, like I'm picturing it in your head, like this is not fancy food. I mean, even when you're talking pizza, you can dress pizza up. You get the wood fire oven, the Napoli style pizza. Like this is not Domino's. We're talking real pizza. When I'm talking dirty wings, I'm talking you're taking your wings, you're breading them, maybe, you're deep frying them, definitely. And you're soaking them in like the grossest, sweetest, saltiest sauce you can find. The thing is, this is a good wine to go with that food. And let's face it, that's not high cuisine. And I know I've dis described it in not the nicest and way, your but pastry chef girlfriend, I think, just cringed over in the corner. But we all love the way that food tastes. And so you know comfort what? food is what you're talking. But about. I would rather have a nice glass of red wine with that than to drink a beer. And there's nothing wrong with having beer with food like that. It's made for that, but. A good red wine goes with like 
good sweet barbecue sauce. I'm standing by that. Hashtag dirty wings. I think you've scarred Alberto completely. <laughs> I don't think so. He's just like, what sauce are you talking about? This man's, man probably makes a beautiful, fresh pasta sauce with nice, ripe, plum tomatoes. And you're talking about a Cool. We're going to toss a half cup of sugar in it. We're going to toss a half cup of Worcester sauce. We're going to throw a couple cloves, more cloves of garlic in it. And we're going to coat our wings in that. I will stay with the pasta. That's what I figured he was going to. He was all, he's like, oh, you can have whatever you want. I'm not in on that. So... So what is what are the what is in this wine? What are the grapes? In Veneto Rosso, we have a blend of uh, mostly Corvina Veronese, the typical grape variety we have in Valpolicella wine and Amarone, and uh, with uh, uh, some Merlot and Cab. So it's a blend of uh, typical uh, Corvina Veronese grapes and some more international grape varieties. Does Merlot make up a big part of the blend? See, Merlot is a bigger part than Cabernet. Okay. So it gives these uh, sweet tannins, this uh, soft, uh, round uh, flavor taste. So this would be and an IGT wine, first of all? IGT, okay. IGT, yes, of course. And um, so when you say partial appassimento, what grapes are, is it the traditional Italian that is appassimento, or do you actually put the Merlot and the Cab through the appassimento? Oh, that's a good we, question. We prefer to put uh, the small amount of cab and merlot into a passimento, but when we say partial, it means that it's a small, it's a short uh, passimento, because for Amarone you have to wait three, four months for having the real appassimento of the grapes. In this case, for merlot and cab, we just have 30, 35 days of appassimento. So a very, very little appassimento, just to give a touch of uh, this uh, uh, flavor, this uh, taste into the wine. So it's about a third the time. A third? Did I catch that? See, right? one third. About one one third. third the time yeah. that you would do in a yes, And the, in the Corvina grapes doesn't pass through the Passimento style method. So only the Cab and the Merlot, that is about uh, 40, 30 percent of the blend, goes into this uh, type of uh, uh, partial Passimento style. I, I'm very happy with that. I'm going to go a step further and say, like, if you're someone like me that doesn't have a ton of money to spend, but you're looking to start... It eats dirty wings every day. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're looking to start a wine collection and you want to see what a wine age is like, when you listen to me and Michael talk about aging wine, I mean, this is something I definitely wouldn't buy and age for, you know, 20 years. But if you took a couple bottles of this, set them on its side and had the patience in two or three years, you'd probably see this evolve in an interesting way. Would you agree with that? Would you think that this wine could age three, five years? Or is oh, it, is, yeah, is yeah. It yeah let's push it to five. This is a wine that can age uh, three, four years easily without problem, yes. You can enjoy now, you can open and drink the bottle and, and enjoy immediately. But if you want to keep and see the evolution of a wine, you can do. I mean, sure. it, it's just a good way to start a collection. If you're afraid of going to the vintages section and spending a lot of money on something that you don't know if you're going to like. If you're new to wine, this is a good place to start. I think it's got that nice, there's a little bit of that chalky tannin on the finish. Not a lot, but there's a little bit, so it shows that there's the, that ageability. I mean, and, and, that, and that's why I'm saying this. I mean, the tannin is, is soft and... Uh, I mean, it rolls off the back of the tongue, but you take your second, your third sip, it's definitely sticking around a little bit. You got a little bit of a, a grippiness to it, but it's 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 subtle. It's understated. If we were doing this with dirty wings, you wouldn't notice the tannin. But we're drinking this on its and own. And he looks at me like I know what you're talking about. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. 
So I was thinking the hashtag was closed. But no, but hashtag is not closed. <laughs> he will open that hashtag the whole day. Don't you worry, that hashtag is now open. But I love that red and black cherry. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like this. There's, there's like a, just a touch of, of chocolate in there. It's just yep. a touch. I've got like it's the cocoa on the finish. No cocoa. Yeah. Uh, and some licorice. I really like that red licorice kind of feel to this wine. Yeah. This is. Yeah. You, you've hit all the points. I, I can't add anything to that. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm just this is just lovely. Yep. Okay. So okay. On to the next one. On to the next one. So we're gonna now. This is obviously a staple wine for you. It is the Valpolicello Superiore, and this would be, you know, what you what you would have started the winery with, correct? This kind of wine. Yes. Correct. Correct. Valpolicello has always been part of our uh, portfolio. Has always always been our. Um, uh, introduction uh, red wine to the world of Valpolicella wines. So to start to know the Valpolicella wines, we are always introduce people to Valpolicella Superiore that is different from Valpolicella Simple because Valpolicella Superiore has uh, more quality because the word Superiore, the appellation added to Valpolicella Superiore give two important uh, um, aspects. The first one is uh, the selection of the grapes as to reach a minimum amount of uh, sugar and uh, uh, transform in a minimum amount of alcohol for the wine. And the wine cannot be released before uh, uh, 15 months from the harvest. So it means that it's a wine that has uh, more quality, more structure, more aging potential. And we have always produced the Valpolcella in version superior. So you don't do a, a straight class uh, no, a, a, no. or a classical or no. just always superior? Only superior. All right, well, here we go. You said earlier the Valpolicella vineyards were purchased in the 90s? See, the okay. mid-90s. Mid mid-90s. Now, these are all traditional grapes, obviously, because you have Valpolicella on the label. Yes, also in this wine, we have mostly Corvina Veronese. Then we have uh, a Rondinella <laughs> grapes, and uh, we have also some, uh, let's say, Corvinone to complete the blend. Okay, it, it, it's interesting because next to the last wine, which was a very good wine, very good concentration, and, and like I said, a great easy food wine, the concentration of fruit on the aroma of this wine it hits your nose like a ton of bricks coming out of the glass if we're comparing it straight up to the last one. I think this one has a, a few more layers yes. uh, to it, whereas this one was much more simple dirty wings. Hashtag dirty wings. <laughs> um, where this one was, was much simpler but still lovely, this one shows much more of an elegance. Yes, I agree. Oh. I agree. Is elegance the word we're going to hit in the face of the ton of bricks? Well, I, I think, did you tasted it yet? Yes, I did take it. I See, there's an elegance that. to that, to that mouthfeel that, that, that while the uh, Veneta Rosso, and as I hold the glass like a hammer, uh, I'm like, just holding <laughs> look at that, like this flask. Um, okay, I'll seed that. Is, I will seed that. It's got like tons and tons of fruit, um, and that, and that, uh, and those, and those, you know, supple tannins. This one just shows a little more elegance. Yes, that nose hits you. But then you get it on the palate, and you're like, "Wait a second. There's it's off the back of the tongue a little bit more, like like it's velvet. A little, it's a little bit more a fine, elegant, classic wine. Yeah. Instead, uh, if we compare this to the Rosso Veneto, Rosso Veneto is more um, 
uh, a wine, but we want to to introduce um, new consumer, young consumer into our world of Veronese wines. Yeah, bring them to Veneto and say yes. this is the kind of wines yes. we can make. Yep. But I because uh, you are not wine. familiar with the Veneto wines, we propose you this type of wine that is more in your style of wine. Correct. It's blueberry. What we call that? Blueberry, blackberry. Like blueberry skin. Blueberry, cher yeah. Cherry notes too. Mm -hmm. But always with that undercurrent of, I hate to keep coming back to it, but there's that undercurrent of elegance that's just on the palate. You've got that cherry fruit. It's, it's really soft off the back of your tongue. It's like I said, without the, without the chicken wings, without the hashtag dirty wings on the last wine, you would really notice the tannin. If you sat and you drank a bottle of that, that your mouth would feel fuzzy at the end of the night. This. Hashtag dirty burger on this one, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know if I would want to. If I don't, I don't know if I'd want to put a burger with this. It would have to be something like really good. Well, no, okay. So you you drink this? I'm going to assume Alberto more than anybody else in the world. You probably drink your own wines more than anybody else. Would you agree with that? Yes, I agree okay. because I like to taste my wines outside of the cellar. So when I'm more relaxed at home, I like to open a bottle of Amarone, a bottle of Valpolicella or Ripassa, and enjoy in a different way my wine. So take, take our North American palate out of that. What do you have this with at home? Yeah, let's hear that. And, uh, and recipes, please. I, I like to enjoy uh, uh, Valpolicella in a very simple way with a, a nice uh, chicken steak uh, with uh, a rabbit uh, or with uh, some uh, brezaula or um, ham. Okay, stop. What is brezaula? Brezaula is uh, a type of uh, cold cuts that come from the Valtellina area, okay. so from Lombardy, and is very light and very, very healthy. I and like how do you it. cook your rabbit? Because I've got some French recipes that I don't think would quite go with this. Uh, rabbit we like to cook uh, in in uh, in, uh, in in humid. I don't know how to say in English. Is uh, is uh, with. Uh, um, uh, I've had a I've had a pasta dish that had rabbit in it when I was. See yes, this is just another way that we like to have uh, our rabbit cooked with pasta. Yeah. But so uh, uh, in there and my my mother, my grandmother used to cook uh, uh, chicken with uh, some olive oil, mm -hmm. uh, some uh, uh, potatoes in in a, in a pot where it can cook uh, slowly and become very crispy and very tasty. See, this is all simple cooking. This is not your. You, you see how many things you wanted to it's, put into his pasta sauce? He had a simple pasta sauce, and you wanted to throw garlic and Worcestershire it, it's, and soy you know, it, it, and everything it, it, else. It is, it is, He's talking very simple it, cuisine. It is one thing that I'll, I'll see. Like, when I cook at home, I do love French cooking. But let's face it, great French cooking is not simple cooking. But the end result is great. But it's the thing that's good about Italian cuisine, is you can take very simple things and make them delicious Olive oil with and a lot less effort. Good. Uh, I prefer to put in the pot some white wine to keep out of the rabbit the taste. Yeah. The, it's a gaminess yes, to it. Yes, the gaminess yeah. taste. 
but uh, no garlic and no this no type. garlic no 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 oh, Alberto I liked you for a bit there but now I don't know I think you're done no I think I want to try this <laughs> garlic I like in a different way on uh, raw raw like an apple on bruschetta with some yeah. uh, 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 cherry tomato oh, okay. and oh, uh, right. good olive oil extra virgin of oil olive yeah. oil this is now turned into a food podcast I'm okay with that I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm already I'm already thinking about um, where, where's rabbit on sale this week, and I mean I know there's a lot of people who are listening to this who probably haven't had rabbit or have it very rarely, but it is a lot of fun to cook, and uh, if you go to my website andrewinereview.ca I'm sure I'll post something about rabbit at some point before the end of winter. Well, let's see. It's interesting you've got him thinking rabbit now because I spent an hour with him before we came to see you, and he was looking at something and go, hey, look, chicken wings are on sale. So I think that's why wings <laughs> were on his head. Because, oh, they're on sale. And he said, if you want, we can have uh, Valpulcella with a salt in bocca. Okay. It is a veal chop or a veal steak. It is also very good with the Valpulcella, I think. I, for me, like with the North American palate, Valpulcella, when you get that very ripe red fruit, and coming from Saskatchewan, I'm a fan of steak. And just red meat, cooked rare, simple seasoning, just salt and pepper, and grilled veggies or green beans or you know Caesar salad beside it, something with some garlic in it. That's 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 my preferred pairing. I'd like to get something on the table right now, and I know that we've been doing this now for a little over a year as yep. of this podcast. Um, I'm sure none of you have figured out that Andre is from Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think he puts it into every podcast. I'm from Saskatchewan. So. Hashtag 306. Michael does the hashtags for this, by the way, so you're welcome. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, Alberto. I really am. So, I don't really know what to say about him. Okay, so, now, we're going to move on to probably one of the most iconic wines of uh, the Veneto region. And... Um, I, the only thing I can do is have you introduce this wine because it is, you know, so iconic that only you can do it justice. Yes, of course, Amarone is the, the most iconic and important uh, red wine of Veneto region, in particular from the area of Valpolicella. It uh, represents um, on top uh, our uh, uh, way of um, thinking wines in the area of Valpolicella because I think that there's no other uh, areas in the world, or now there are some that are copying our method of uh, appassimento, but from the beginning in Valpolicella, we started to produce wine from the appassimento method. The first one was produced, it was a sweet wine, as you know, it's called Recioto della Valpolicella. And as an anecdote that I want to, to tell you, is that Amarone came alive uh, as a mistake, by coincidence, because uh, Arecioto cask refermented because of a lot of sugar and not temperature controlled cellar that it was in the past, the wine became drier and bitter. And in Italian, when you translate in English bitter, it's amaro. So the wine was called uh, No More Arecioto because it wasn't sweeter. Sweet. No. And it became alive, a new wine that uh, is now our Amarone della Valpolicella. And every word that finishes in one in Italian is big. So it's a big wine with a, a bitter taste. And Amarone is our uh, most well known uh, red wine abroad in this moment. 
So this is uh, the 2012 Amarone della Volpolicella, Classico, which means classic, the classical area. Um, so you also touched upon, before we taste this wine, uh, while I pour, this is what I'm going to ask you. You touched upon other regions in the world, and Ontario is one of them, that is now making Amarone-style, uh, Pacimento-style wines. What is your thought on others copying your style? Well, everybody can copy a successful uh, area or a successful method of production of a wine because you cannot uh, uh, you cannot protect the the way of producing wine from uh, your area, but you can protect the name and the area has protected the Amarone della Valpolicella because only in the area of Valpolicella you can produce the Amarone. Mm. In other areas, in Ontario or in Australia or whatever, you can produce wine with the method of appassimento, but no one will be called Amarone because Amarone is protected and is only produced in the area of Valpolicella where we come from. So I am happy to hear that the other areas are trying to make wines with our uh, appassimento style because it means that it's very successful and everybody wants to try to make wine with the same style. But on the other side, I would say that everyone has to try to seek their own way to produce wine instead of trying to copy the most successful ones. But uh, we are in a free market, in a free world, and well, every... Yeah, oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're in a monopoly yeah, system, yeah, but good. I understand what you're talking about, free market. <laughs> I've heard of that, but go ahead. <laughs> so I, I think uh, that, uh, yes, this is possible to find uh, some uh, other uh, producer in the world that are trying to, 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 to produce a wine that uh, it has the characteristic of Amarone, but of course it cannot be a substitution of Amarone because Amarone with Corvina, Corvinone, Rondinella and maybe Samoseleta can produce only in the typical and classic area of Valpolicella. These are our autochton grapes variety that are in our area for centuries, are um, uh, adapted to produce uh, this type of wines and we are uh, um, proud to bring at uh, your attention a wine that cannot be copied anywhere else in the world. So just a little bit of a follow-up. So nobody can make, obviously, Amarone because very few, if ever, anybody can uh, grow the grapes that you grow in Veneto. It just seems not to be able to be done properly, you know, in that way. But what do you think of people using the word appassimento? The word appassimento is uh, something that you cannot protect because uh, drying process is, uh, is a method of production. So it is something that uh, I don't think we can protect. We can protect uh, the Amarone, the style and the, uh, the wine Amarone that is produced only in the area of Valpolicella. Appassimento style or appassimento method, we cannot uh, protect, we cannot make a trademark. because You can't, even, you can't even protect the word appassimento? I don't no, I'm know. getting into a legal thing here with him, See, but I mean... I, I think we are introducing a more uh, legal uh, aspect that uh, is difficult to, to, to explain. 
but uh, we have tried to protect this legal uh, uh, word appassimento but I don't think we can be successful because the appassimento is a technique it's not something that you can find only in Amarone the appassimento is, it can be done in Suave for the Recciotto di Suave it can be done in the Pantelleria Island for the city of Pantelleria so it's something that you cannot really protect only for the production of Amarone. But all, but all of those places are, are in Italy. So it seems we've, we've, you know, people have taken this, you know, a passimento word and used it in, in their language. But, but it does sound like, I, I, we had a conversation off the microphone though, it does sound like the technique is being replicated in a similar way in other parts of the world. Well, I know, like, it's, they, I, they, I know they, that like, somebody like Masi is doing it in Argentina. Uh, and we're, it seems to be Ontario is just flourishing with all of these, you know, impassimento methods. Uh, it, the, I, I would say experimenting before before flourishing. Well, it's but I mean, we're seeing a lot of more. It. We're starting yeah. to see it. I would say, um, there, and there's there's the two methods that we use on this side of the pond, which is there's the kiln dried method. You know, you use old tobacco kilns, which gets it done in ten days, which is the you know it's like fat flash frying to bring on the chicken wings again. Hashtag um, dirty wings. Yeah. And or there's the traditional method that, that people are using with the you know this the you know, three four or five months uh, drying naturally. So uh, yeah, the best method is of course the method that is um, longer takes uh, its time uh, to dry the grapes uh, because it's a process that it has to happen um, in a slow way. The transformation inside the berry takes time. If you force this uh, method and you want to do in a, in, a, in a short way, you don't reach the best uh, quality of the wine because uh, the transformation takes time and the best wine comes from a long period of drying. Of course, at a certain point, you have to stop the period of drying because otherwise all the wines uh, come out too sweet because uh, the alcohol cannot be the yeast cannot transform all the sugar in alcohol. So it's a compromise. We are using some uh, modern uh, technique to allow our uh, grapes to dry healthier and uh, in, a, in a best way in order to prevent uh, formation of mold and rot in our grapes. But at the same time, we like to leave the grapes to dry slower in our fruits rooms in order to let to the internal process uh, in, inside the berries that take uh, its time to develop the right uh, flavor and, uh, and taste uh, into the wine when it's uh, finished. Yeah, I, I've just been smelling this wine while this whole conversation's been going on and it's, it's another wine that's just it's pulling out some very strong memories for oh, this me. One, this one hits you. This one definitely whacks in the face. There's that, that rich plum... For me, it's it's a black currant jam. Black currant, yeah. but, but but it's it's very specific black currant jam. It just reminds me of something my mother used to make. In Saskatchewan, you're talking about? Actually, <laughs> uh, here's a new fact that you may not know about me. I was born in Yellowknife. Oh my god. Okay. And my mother used to make black currant jam. Hashtag Yellowknife. Sure, hashtag Yellowknife. But this just it, this the nose on this reminds me very much. It's. It's you grow it, things in Yellowknife? Yes, it's it's south of the Arctic Circle, Michael. Right. Look at a map. Jesus Christ. 
I love when he calls me Jesus Christ. <laughs> Brings me back. Uh, you got the plum legs. We get back into some of the noses. It's, it's raspberry. It's, uh, I mean, it's pushing a little more sour fruit, uh, but it's still like it's very concentrated. Um, oh, yes, a little bit got, of chocolate. No, exactly what you, Alberto just looked at me and he kind of shrugged because that's exactly what he's done. He's concentrated those those flavors. But but, but I mean, but I mean, it, it's um, if you picture the Apasamento method in your head as grapes that are concentrated, it's definitely reflected in the glass. I know I'm, I'm Captain Obvious right now, but I mean, we're trying to describe this to people who are listening, and if you don't have a bottle of this in front of you, I'm very sorry. You probably should go get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're also looking at... I'm guessing what? Does that say 16.5? Wow, it is. It's 16.5 for alcohol. Now... <laughs> it doesn't taste like 16.5. It doesn't taste 16.5, uh, but, you, but you definitely know if you've tasted... Amarone, you know that there's a higher percentage of alcohol. It just it just naturally occurs. I've also heard that people use this as a dessert wine, and, and this is not anything but the Rezzotto. But I mean, uh, some people use Amarone not as a food wine, but as a dessert. This is the thing that they serve after. They don't want a sweet wine, but they want a higher alcohol, and the alcohol can be perceived as having sweetness to it. Yeah. What do you say for people who say, no, Amarone doesn't pair with food, Amarone is more of a dessert-style wine. I have seen uh, many uh, way of uh, pairing uh, the Amarone here in North America. But one of, one of the best way to pair Amarone, in my opinion, is at the end of the dinner with the, a selection of cheeses. Oh, yeah. I no, think I that this. cheese <laughs> goes perfectly, sweet, perfectly, Amarone-style. But of course, uh, somebody like Amarone with uh, game, especially in winter time, in fall time, when you have uh, uh, this type of food at your disposal, you can enjoy Amarone with this type of meat. But of course, somebody is enjoying Amarone also with dessert, with chocolate so, cakes, uh, Alberto. Uh, with something that is uh, sweet at the end. This is another way of uh, enjoying Amarone. So it's a wine that has a different uh, possibility to be what, what type of game are you talking about in, in Italy, which might be different than Canada, where we're talking about moose and I dare you tell some sort of wing. Well, I would <laughs> I'm say... I'm just saying, we, we've already talked about rabbit. We may as well make sure that we completely well, piss Peta off. Pheasant wings are great with this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no. Pheasant, uh, reindeer. I was in Finland a few weeks ago, and I, I visited Lapland. Nice. And uh, all uh, evening they were serving me reindeer with uh, ripassos wine or amarone wines. And he was fine with it until it came with that little uh, cherry on top. And he was like, oh, and I can't Rudolph's nose? Yeah, Rudolph okay, yeah. come on, let's go right there. If there's uh, someone at this table who's on Santa's naughty list, I know exactly who it is. Well, this is the first time we've ever done a podcast with a studio audience. So I'd like to Oprah everybody now and say... And you get an Amarone, and you get an Amarone, and you get an Amarone, and you get an Amarone. Thank you. No, it's, I really like this style of wine and, and this wine in particular. And it's, uh, I can see how getting this wine to Canada, you're talking about pairing it with game. I mean, that's something that a lot of Canadians will get into. I just, I can see the challenge being getting someone who's, you know, a camel-wearing, Ford F-150 driving uh, hunter to pick up a bottle of wine like this and put down the the beer. So, 
Uh, I mean, what do you think we can do to get Canadians to move to drink something like this when it goes so well with the food that we already eat? Well, I think that um, most of the Canadians are already well introduced in the Amarone style of wine. And uh, yes, we have only to, to do a little more, like we are doing tonight uh, with this podcasting uh, transmission, to help people uh, to understand that Amarone is a great wine that can be enjoyed in different uh, ways. And in particular, one of the best uh, ways to, to enjoy Amarone is with game. I agree with you. Well, we'll find a way to do that. You know, I just <laughs> want to... This is probably going to be the last thing that you're going to let me say tonight. <laughs> Maybe it's the fourth glass of wine, but when you were introducing that and, and you said, I realized you said camo wearing. Yes, okay. camouflage. I originally thought he said camel wearing. <laughs> and I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> but I'm going to say, like, I come from a family where my dad's a hunter and... I know a lot of people who hunt and where's the occasional camel but I mean a lot of the people I know who hunt aren't necessarily wine drinkers and is this is Saskatchewan? pardon me is he also in Saskatchewan who You're... my dad is in Saskatchewan yes okay anyways I've completely lost my train of thought but once again this comes down to this being the fourth glass of wine and I'm just going to go back to enjoying this Alberta we'd like to thank you very much for, for this wonderful tasting you're welcome thank you very much for uh, having uh, uh, done this uh, beautiful uh, uh, podcasting with my wines, uh, and I enjoy a lot. It was my first time. Come back okay. anytime. Andre, I can't believe that one of my favorite wines was under $15. I can't believe I talked about pairing some of these really tasty wines with chicken wings. <laughs> my favorite part of that interview, and I talk about it all the time to people, is that here's this man telling us about this really simple chicken dish, and you're talking about throwing all kinds of sauces into a, a vat and making dirty wings. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, we actually timed this podcast to be released just before Super Bowl Sunday, so expect so it, so lots it of hashtags. It is a special edition, yes. yeah. It is a special edition, so... Expect hashtag uh, dirty wings to be making an appearance on many posts over the next few days. And, uh, Andre, what you should do is uh, give everybody your recipe for Dirty Wings. Tell you what. If you go to andrewinereview.ca right now, scroll to the bottom under the food section, you will see a post with my recipe for honey garlic and buffalo-style Dirty Wings. Well, look at you. Free content. (laughs) You can subscribe to this podcast by searching for us on iTunes, Two Guys Talking Wine. I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. I'm Michael Bingus from michaelbinguswinereview.com. Good night! You can actually do both. Good night! Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.